Welcome to another episode of Bringing Down the Grindhouse, a podcast where we discuss horror in media, and today we'll be talking about The Lost Boys and The Crow, two the movies. I'm Mitch. I'm Murr. I'm Jonathan. And I'm Justine, back again. Yeah! We're very excited to have Justine on here once again with us. So I guess we're great. We're busting into the uh, the Lost Boys first. That's the movie you said we want to do first. Yeah. So uh, let's get some production notes on the Lost Boys. Murr. Uh, the Lost Boys was a 1987 film directed by Joel Schumacher, produced by Harvey Bernhard. Screenplay written by Jeffrey Baum. And if you don't know, it is a vampire movie that store, uh, stars the two Corys, Corey Heim. And fucking, uh, what's his name? Corey Feldman. If you don't know, he was the guy in Goonies that wears the bandana. A also he was in that other movie where uh, those kids like walk on the fucking train tracks. I'm trying to remember what it's called. It's very iconic. No, I can't it's think a, of it. I a, was like, okay, I think I know a, what it is. It's like it, it, it. I don't know. But the thing is, with this movie, it. Like with the Lost Boys in general, it's they wanted to do something like similar to Peter Pan, hence the name. So an yeah. an, an, an interesting thing to note is that originally it was the original screenplay was written by Janice Fisher. Fisher, thank you, Mer. It was written by Janice Fisher, and um, she originally had it as sort of a uh, Goonies, uh, kind of like a Goonies, um, Peter Pan sort of thing. Yeah, until a little, like, and, until like this this movie yeah. was in production hell forever. Yeah. Like like flopping directors and rewriting scripts. Um, they basically went for a uh, they went with screenwriter Jeffrey Bohm later to basically retool the script so that the characters were a little older and he added a lot more of the horror elements you see in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, to the point where Janice Fisher didn't even want her name to be associated with one of the writers in the movies and had it struck because it was so different from her original script. Um, but later on, she would come out and say that uh, that the film they made was uh, better than the one that she wrote, and that she actually appreciates it more now. The film budget was eight point five million, and it made thirty two point two million in the box office. All right. The film was uh, filmed within three weeks, all taking place in Santa Cruz, California. Didn't they make up like a city for the film? Yeah, Santa yeah. Clara. Yeah, they just like something that sounded so close to a California city that you didn't really think twice about it when the movie was going. The murder capital of the <laughs> fucking state. <laughs> what is the actual murder capital of the United States? Do you guys know? You should I look have it up. no idea. Yeah, Sa- Santa Cruz uh, had a real big had a really big problem with murders and whatnot at the time this movie was made too. Um, I think currently it's Detroit, or it was Detroit for a little bit. Uh. I am looking it up. All right. Uh, an interesting thing to note about the box office is uh, the movie made fourteen million off of rentals, if I remember correctly. Uh, yeah, it was definitely around the time when like blockbuster video and all the other things were starting to get up and running. Ah, okay. Fun fact: the murder capital of the world is Tijuana, Tijuana, <laughs> Mexico. Our neighbors. <laughs> at about two thousand three hundred and sixty-seven murders. Per capita, and then in the U.S. it is Stockton, Stockton, California. The murder rate is ten point five people per one hundred thousand. So, so don't go to Stockton. Yeah, what the fuck? I'm like, is it just because there's nothing out there? Yeah, people are bored as shit. That's why you don't go to Paris. <laughs> shit. You know what's in Paris? Dirt. <laughs> <laughs> 
for anyone who couldn't see, I shook my head no. Uh. <laughs> so, um. so anyway, uh, uh, Santa Cruz wasn't exactly thrilled that this movie was going to be filmed there because they didn't want it to like shed a negative light on their city. So they were there was a lot of like uh, concerns with that, a lot of legal issues they had to deal with with city council and whatnot in order to get the film shot and get the locations. Fun fact: the vampires don't shimmer, but their blood shimmers. I noticed that. That was so cool. Uh, silver yeah. silver filament, I think, was used in the goo to make it look shiny and whatnot. It made me really wonder if this is where Twilight got the idea of shiny vampires. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Um, let's see. Okay. So the thing is, the big main person on this was that Corey Feldman character, right? The little, he's 14 years old when he's doing the production of this movie. The director cut him off from the movie because he had a cocaine problem at 14 years old. He would come to fucking, he would come to production fucking binging off of coke. Like, just like fucking Was this the younger brother? This is the frog brother, the guy with like the bandana in the comic book store, who's like, who's like, oh, okay, yeah, your, yeah. Your brother, your brother's a vampire. You know, you're gonna have to kill him. <laughs> you know, I gotta say, he was a little too enthusiastic about everything. I was kind of wondering that too. Here, but cocaine, it makes sense now. Yeah. So the director went to both of these kids and wanted them to essentially like watch like Sylvester Stallone movies uh. and, th- and things like that in order for them to develop like a persona because they were too cutesy and too nice when they Post were doing it. The so Goonies. We, yeah, yeah, they were too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they were like, I want you to be like these hardcore, no nonsense vampire hunter kids. I know with that raspy voice. Yeah. Right. Hey. They even tried to do it. Like, it's so funny. I believed it. I, I love it. There's like, we're going to need some holy water. Just like uh, just, that was a great scene. Did they, they just roll in, in the church? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> fill in the fucking yeah. canteens of holy water during a baptism. I think and everyone's just yeah, staring right. at them. They're just like, go, go, go. <laughs> when the D and D party needs to go kill a vampire, just walk into the church. <laughs> but but that was like the coolest comic book store ever. You walked in. They had so many comics in there. Like you almost never see that now because comic book stores don't stay open very long. There's actually a place in Ocean Beach that this place in the movie reminds me of. It was this comic store. I don't know if it's still around. I hope it is. But it was just like this tiny like alleyway of a comic book store with like these tiny hallways just stacked like floor to ceiling with comic books. It was amazing. Uh, I, I actually kind of feel like the place in this movie was almost like Ocean Beach. Like if you've ever walked around Ocean Beach in San Diego, it's kind of got that little bit retro kind of edgy vibe to it, you know? Oh, is that the place? That has like the fucking roller coasters, doesn't it? No, no, no that's no, no. Mission Beach. Mission Ocean Beach. Ocean Beach fuck. has the hippies in the drum circles. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> OB does have those. Yeah. That's the thing. <laughs> so, I mean, what did you guys, did you guys enjoy the films? Like what did you, like what were your initial thoughts? On like on the Lost Boys, like what do you think? <laughs> I like I liked it because it's like one of the original ideas for vampires on film, besides like the fifty style, which was the really ugly vampires that they only hid in night. They didn't really dress nice. They kind of only wore like really old school clothing. This was like the new kind of vampire that would switch, like they would transform from being like their regular selves. That on top of that, they were just like immature teenagers. Who are just constantly like wreaking havoc. 
I would I, I have to agree. I think that I think that with the Lost Boys, you have an inspiration for makeup. Their makeup designer for this movie is uh, really important. His name escapes me, and I'm sh- maybe someone can help me out with that one. But he was really important in um, designing how the vampires looked when they switched over, and a lot of inspiration for like Angel and Buffy the Vampire Slayer and whatnot. I think came from the makeup done in this movie, in particular. Um, you got the guy who did the cinematography for Taxi Driver on this movie as well. Um, basically just adding to those really nice uh, pans and shots that really just gets the, the feeling of transition from human to vampire. I love how during the day, there's like, does your brother sleep all day? Yeah. Does he hate sunlight? Yeah, he wears sunglasses inside the house. We got to kill him. <laughs> Obviously. I can't believe my brother's a shit sucking vampire. Damn it. <laughs> Michael! <laughs> oh. I'm telling mom. <laughs> also, what what I think the funniest part is there's like, you're gonna have to kill your brother, man. It's like, no, that's my brother, dude. He's like, okay, I guess we'll do it for you. Just like <laughs> And then Mitch actually okay, watching this movie, me and my friend were just like, okay. They say Michael a lot in this fucking movie. They say like the like the main character Michael who who actually becomes a vampire post drinking vampire blood in the fucking hideout. They say his name 118 times throughout the film and we're like if you were to do a drinking game you'd be dead. They actually say the the name Michael 114 times over the course of this movie. It's dumb. Yep. Hey, the fucking grandpa though. Oh, he's the a grandpa. G. All right, the grandpa knew the whole fucking time and was just like, God damn it. It's the only thing I could not like about this area was the goddamn vampires. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense, though. How else are you going to be so chill about, like, your grandson running around doing all these wild things? Like, who are these kids looking like fucking Rambo over here? Yeah, I mean, I mean, he just drives his fucking, like, Jeep through the house <laughs> and impales, like, the head vampire of all of them. Too casual. Yeah. Like, okay, here's the thing. I was like... Did he do this on accident, or did he, like, cr- try to save the day? Stumbles out and goes in the kitchen. Like, oh, he just did that on fucking accident. He what? was <laughs> he just fucking, yeah, I just crashed the fucking Jeep into the house. Whatever. That's why I always hated about Santa Cruz, the goddamn vampires. I, <laughs> and then the movie fucking ends. I, like, what the fuck? <laughs> my favorite line is, um, you know, I'm not going to really say anything about Santa, Santa Clara, but if all the dead people were to come up, from the ground, we'd have a population problem. <laughs> Yeesh. He, he says that right at the beginning, right? Yeah, like right when they yeah. get there. Hey, his house is cash as fuck. I was actually saying that. Like, that's kind of like my ideal home. Like, this huge, like, wooden house on, like, a beach property, kind of. Oh. He and has, like, the nice totems yeah, in the backyard. all the plants and the knickknacks and the taxidermy. <laughs> I dig it. <laughs> it just, oh he was man. also playing dead when they arrived. He was just laying there <laughs> on the fucking porch until the daughter rolled up and was like, Dad, like, get up. I think he's dead. Oh. If he's dead, can we go back to Phoenix? <laughs> <laughs> also too casual. I, I love he's like, no, I'm playing dead. And from what I hear, I'm pretty good at it. <laughs> just like. There are, there are some interesting things to note about the Lost Boys that I think why it's so staple and why it has such a cult following is a lot of the, I think that there's an interpretation of the other in this movie. Whereas if you look at all the vampires, a lot of them are dressed in a way that your underground goth or gay clubs would be wearing and whatnot. All the leather and things like that, like super flashy and stuff. And it's and it's like, so it could be an interpretation on that culture, especially during like the late 80s, 
this also looks like a fun group to hang out with. Just yeah, rolling around absolutely. on fucking motocross <laughs> all the time. I'm down for it. I'd be going. That'd be a cool crew to hang out with. Let's let's, let's ah, go hang see. off the bottom of railways and. Uh, yeah, that was so fucking cool. I was like, Yeah, Michael, let go. Michael! <laughs> He's just like, no. Take a chance. <laughs> and then they have like that really cool scene where they're just driving through uh, the beach off the cliff, pretty much. Mm. I got to say, their hangout's dope. It has that giant Jim Morrison poster. Oh, yeah. No, that's, like, probably the coolest villain hangout I've seen in a movie, in my opinion. It's actually one of the only sets that was actually made for the movie Uh as well, because they originally picked some, like, cave off off the coast that they were going to shoot the scene in, but they said, eh, it needs to be a little bit more... This is not the place this vampire would hang out in. He's a little more stylish than that. So they picked, they had to make one for the set. I guess supposedly it was a hotel that was built right on a fault line. So when yeah, the earthquake sunk, happened, it just right. dropped into the, the crack and then that's where they live now. Yeah, no, no, it was a sunken hotel. That's right. Yeah, that was, that was the whole, that was the deal. Yeah, the vampires also have a specific smell to them. They, it's like, does your brother smell bad? Does your brother fucking sleep until like 3 p.m. in the middle of the day i yeah i guess vampires have bad breath that's like a thing now in vampire lore i mean like i feel like a corpse would have a bad breath and vampires are kind of just animated corpses so i like the rule that they apply to with the head vampire because if you're a half vampire you could reverse the effects by killing the head vampire of the of the group also you, you stay a half vampire until you kill someone yeah, that's an interesting bit of lore, too. That's a very different vampire lore from what you're used to. So I think that's a big reason why this was so... Like what John was saying earlier, like vampires were very romanticized at one point. They weren't always really ugly, but sometimes they were. But they were usually in a spot of, like, nobility or, you know, they basically were very well off. I feel like it's almost kind of a mix of how werewolves are, like, portrayed in movies. Like, typically in werewolf lore, once you kill somebody, that's when you, like, transform officially into a werewolf after you've been bitten. But I feel like they also kind of have that sort of ugly grit. Like, they're not as pretty as vampires are, you know. And these vampires were not pretty. Mm-mm. What? Well, they were pretty until they were, like, you know, little creatures with the eyes and, yeah, the wrinkly faces, you know. Dude, fucking Ted from Bill and Ted is in this gang. And he looks <laughs> adorable. He's just laughing the, the entire How all his footage. Was he in it's this movie? Bill. It's Bill from. Oh, Bill it's Bill. Ted. Yeah, it's the Bill. Entire, Ted is the other one. The entire time he's in this movie, the only thing he does is laugh. Like that's all he I does. I mean, it's in the not movie. an '80s movie unless there's a lot of laughter. That's the thing, though. Yeah, true. This movie is '80s as fuck. Can I just point out that buff dude on the saxophone in one of the opening Yo! scenes? I was so... He's, oh, I love that. That's he's like, Tina Turner's uh, uh, saxophonist. And the reason, why he was, yeah, the reason why he was on the movie itself was because um, he was doing like a show in the area. And I think he composed a song. I think he composed a song for the movie, but don't quote me on that one. But that's why he's in the movie is because he did a part for it. He's so shiny. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, look at this bronze man just... Hitting that sax. Uh, he was getting it, too. In that Speedo, that shiny Speedo <laughs> with the shades on and the mullet <laughs> flowing. Uh. You can't forget that he had chains wrapped around him, too. Like chain links. <laughs> Hard. Mm. <laughs> we see you. Oof. So this this movie's 80s as fuck. Um, and that's the thing. Like, a lot of people, I feel like this is, oh, it's Stand By Me. Mm-hmm. That's, that's where Corey Feldman yeah. like, did it. Stand, and that's stand by me movie. is the movie with the kids on the train tracks. Gotcha. Okay. I was so, like, I, I, I knew what that movie is, but I could not make the here, connection. Here's the thing. I feel like the lost boys, the Goonies and stand by me are the Corey Feldman trilogy. 
I feel like that's like those are will be his highest roles. I mean, was he in anything else when he yes, was Yes, he's in a lot of fucking movies. What, who? Corey Feldman? Yeah. Corey Feldman's been in a lot of movies. Actually, um, this movie actually stapled the, the Corey brother thing that happened later yeah, on. So you have Corey Heim, the yeah. little brother who has the fucking dopest wardrobe. Yeah. I love his flowy shirts. Yeah. He uh he um what is it? They would do like six more films after this one, I believe. Is what it was what it what the number was. Yeah. They do six more together <laughs> and then uh Haim would pass away from uh, I forget what his cause of death was, though. Uh, what was it? So, that's the thing. They want they made several sequels to this movie, and Corey Feldman was just like, yeah, give me some money. Do it. I'll, he's like old as fuck, and he's like, yeah, I'll do the fucking sequel now. They did a sequel in 2010. 20 fucking 10. That's like 30 years later. How does that work out? We gotta kill the vampire. I don't know. Just like, you know... <laughs> Like I, I feel like she just it, says the same fucking line in every movie. <laughs> From what I know, like the the later movies had to do with because they made comics afterwards that implied that um, what's the head vampire's name again? Uh, you mean the old man? No. Oh, the other head vampire. Uh, the dude the, that was dating the dude's mom. I'll get the info on this. David? Is it David? No, that's no. the that's the blonde dude. He was like the, the blonde dude is David. Yeah, yeah, yeah. David is who I'm talking about. Oh yeah yeah um, yeah yeah. Yeah he. Uh, but wasn't it was the the dude's mom that was the no. The dude that was dating the dude's mom was the head vampire officially, right? Because they had to kill him. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. No, you're you're correct there. Um, absolutely. His name but is I, Max. I yeah. That okay, guy. Ma- Matt. Yeah, Max is the elder vampire, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. yes, and the then David. One. Yes, and then David is the is. Just, I think he, I feel like he's just the leader of the game. He's like the basically. head hitman, you know. Yeah, kind of deal. Yeah, he's uh, like the he's the sidekick. Yeah. <laughs> That's the thing. The whole movie, you think that David is the main guy. So you're like, okay, they're going to fight. But, like, when they actually get to this fight scene, like, all the preparation before it, I love how the Frog Brothers, the guys who run the comic book store, they're like, this ain't a joke, man. Here, inform yourself. And they hand them, like, a bunch of how to kill vampire comic books. Uh, so I guess those comics were made just for that movie. Yeah. They're not, like, actual comics you can go and find. It's, it's pretty dope. And then they, they made the term vamp out. With which was later used for, for fucking uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, so they're like, dude, if you vamp out on me, I'm going to kill you. And it's just like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, interesting. Uh, so what I was gonna say about David anyway was that there is a comic series that happened after the movie that followed if David did not die at the end. Because there's some shots in it where it's supposed to be allow for the possibility of David surviving and continuing on. So they had another sequel called The Lost Girls that was planned for afterwards. Yeah. And whatnot. In which he survived and started like a new group, basically. I want that. Yeah. The Lost Girls. Mm-hmm. Give me Girl Vampire Gang. <laughs> <Yeah>. Yes. <laughs> it, so did, did he just make a new gang but all girls? Is that... Is that what happened? I I, I, <laughs> I I believe so. I believe that was the idea, but I don't know. It didn't really go through. But there were comics that were written afterwards that dig, that basically told the story of what happened to David when he survived and what happened afterwards. So this definitely makes me think about one of the questions I had about the film. So you really only had the mom, and then you had the girl of the group, which I can't even remember her name right now. Star. Star, who weren't really... They weren't like they were lead roles, but they didn't really say all that much. And most of the time they were used as kind of the support character. So what do you guys feel about that? Do you think they should have been used to better means like for the for the narrative or like why do they choose to do that and only have one girl in such a large guy group? 
Um, I think it works fine. I don't really, I don't really read into it. I think what it is is the mom is portrayed as the mom that's like, oh, stop fucking around. Like, yeah, kind of, she's like that, recently divorced. What was too. that movie, Harold and Maude? Yeah, how the kid's trying to kill himself the entire movie, and, and then she's like, Harold, stop stop messing around. <laughs> it's, just like, it's like, Mom, there's vampires in Santa Clara. Will you stop that? Like, please, we're at dinner. <laughs> and then with Star, I kind of just feel like she was supposed to be the love interest for Michael. That's just literally it. But she is also a half-vampire with her brother, Laddie, who dresses like a fucking weirdo. I have uh, quite a bit to say about this question. A little bit, a little bit more of like reading into the film. Maybe too much. Maybe reading in too much. But so the original question is, what would they do with these these two characters and as well as the mom, like their lead roles, right? So you're dealing with a family who just went through a divorce and they're moving into their father's house. So this is a representation of a divorced family and them picking up and moving on into this situation. And then there's the idea of like the cornerstone optimal idea of family which is what max represents when he moves in and tries to fix the situation no they're probably fine all on their own they pick up and start just fine so it was sort of an antithesis to the idea of the cornerstone family of the optimal family in a way as well as here's here's maybe reading too much of it all of the vampires in the group are gay idea now here's where i think this because none of them paying attention to star whatsoever and they're incredibly focused on Michael the entire time. You know, they were a little movie. too well dressed. Oh yeah, I'm just Perhaps, saying. Perhaps, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it was the '80s, if I'm being honest. Yeah. And that's, <laughs> Everybody was in the closet. That's that's why I'm saying it might be reading a little bit more too much, like too much into it. But the, but the thing is, they never pay attention to Star whatsoever. Yeah. I'm sorry, as a straight guy, I would have paid attention. <laughs> yeah she was hot yeah dude no joke absolutely like Ooh. you can get it star hello there, there, there's a reason why michael falls immediately right has his full 80s love scene in the cave yep but absolutely. you know what uh, yes. yeah with the candles the candles yeah. and the drapes it's, oh, the yes. lace oh, drapes yes. oh and yes. that music with the driving beats <laughs> yep. oh yes slow motion mm. Mm. the romance is in the air you can't forget the superimposing of the same scene while they're showing you the same scene <laughs> Yeah, you like oh, montages. Yeah, I, I, with, yeah, with, we heard you like montages. I think I think they said that with fixing the script, they wanted it to be sexier. Also, was literally like part of it. Yeah, so. definitely. Like I was gonna say, this movie gives me like a sexy Peter Pan vibe. And I know I don't want to put those words together because Peter Pan is obviously like a children's story, but these are obviously not children we're dealing with. These are older teens, young adults, you know. But it's very sexy. It's so eighties, and the eighties was. All about sex, rock and roll, you know. Well, a darker read of Peter Pan is that Peter Pan is actually several hundred years old, and he was a little bit of a pedophile, but whatever. Oh! Oh! (laughs) He's he's immortal, and he always collects children to come live with him on the island, which means that at some point, he was old enough to know what he was doing. Oh, God. Why you just fuck Peter Pan for me? What? uh, Chris Hansen's on that boat somewhere. Oh, God. Chris Hansen is Captain Hook. <laughs> well, see, Captain Hook was just try- <laughs> he was just trying to get rid of Peter Pan, so maybe he wasn't such a bad guy. But anyway. <laughs> Hot take. <laughs> Captain Hook was right. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
I had not considered that they could possibly be gay, and I don't know why I didn't. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was, I was like look, looking into it a little bit, and, right? Like, watching the movie and doing a little bit of side research, and then that like idea was brought up, and I was like, you know what? That's like really spot it on. It would also make sense because they're technically all got turned by him, so they're kind of like under his command in some way or another, or like really heavily influenced. And the only reason why Michael wasn't really like that was because he had a uh, feeling for Star. And they were both, like, kind of half vampires. So I think that's the only reason why he didn't listen to him, for, like, to continue doing what he said to do, like, to kill the person. So that's interesting. I feel I feel like this movie does a lot of analysis, a little bit, at least, like, like very kind of shallow in some ways. But a shallowness on the idea of the other, a.k.a. viewing, like, homosexual people as the other or, you know, the alternate culture as the other, et cetera, et cetera. Now I want to go and then- back and look at which earring they had on which ear <laughs> just to see if it wait, matters wait, wait, wait. which that... which earring matters though is it the right one or the left one i want to say it's the right ear okay only the right ear supposedly i gotta look it up but now that makes me wonder if all the vampires are gay then is the vampire curse an analogy for aids that's what i'm thinking now whoa <laughs> <laughs> like something that that's the thing like the guy is like here drink my blood yeah pretty much and- you know, it's trans it's transferred through bodily fluids usually, mm-hmm. and so the AIDS so pandemic was rampant. There, there's yeah. very yeah, there's very yeah, it's the right side. Yeah, there's very plausible. Okay. There's very plausible. Um, I I know that Corey Heim he had his on the left ear. Yeah, right. We need to pull some pictures We're of this. Wait, I mean, no, I don't know yeah. if I would go. I would go for something. I don't know if I would go for something like that to prove it exactly, because you know they're just choices they make stylistically. But maybe, but maybe it might. I mean, you know. it makes sense as far as like why, like what you were saying, where they were considered these other, because nobody in the town liked them. They all were having beef with them most of the time. From the first scene, like, hey, we yeah. told you to get off the boardwalk. And it fits as well too, because the people most likely to get AIDS were young male men between those ages. So, like, it's kind of piling up on itself Also, now. it's the 80s. Yeah. <laughs> like, and then in most cases, when these kids, you know, got the disease, they had to leave home because their parents didn't accept them. And all of these kids are lost boys. Yeah, they yeah, lost yeah, their yeah. homes, and they found home with each other. So Dang. You, so you'd have Whoa. not only not <laughs> only the other being represented, but also what types of families are represented. So you have the yeah. divorced family with the new stepfather, and then you have this family that's made of, like, misfits, basically. Yeah. That grow outside and how those families interact. Perhaps how they're more negatively influenced as well by other people out of desperation, perhaps. Yeah. They have this older vampire man basically taking advantage of these young boys. Ooh. It's, P- it's Peter Pan. <laughs> oh, it's Peter Pan! Max is actually Peter Pan in the movie. Whoa. Whoa. No. <laughs> Wait, do we know how old Max is supposed to be? Or he, how old I mean, he's, uh, he's David like is supposed to be? He's like 40s or 50s. Probably. I mean, like, his vampires. Like, is he a couple hundred years old, you oh, think? that's the thing. They're all immortal. You could just say whatever. I mean, it, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> I'm two billion years old. Ah, ah, ah. <laughs> all right. Hold on. <laughs> I, uh, Sorry, I'm just thinking so of, that, of that video where they just replace, they just bleep out every time he says the word count. <laughs> I fuck the spiders on the wall. <laughs> <laughs> I fuck the dust on the books. Make it stop. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. I, I do want to bring something up. I do want to bring something up. Let's talk about the fucking violence in this movie. Near the end, the end scene. 
This is some pretty good special effects. Oh, yeah. I fucking love this shit. This is what I live for. What was it? Death by radio? Death by stereo. My favorite. He just. Yeah. <laughs> Guy takes the, the bow and arrow, shoots him, sticks him in the fucking stereo system, electrocutes him alive. And then they're like, Death by stereo. <laughs> <laughs> and then, then there's a band that's called Death by Stereo that got their name. That's the thing. Several bands got their like names or like references from like this movie. Like the, the scene kid like band. Like Vampires Everywhere? Yeah, Vampires Everywhere. It's fucking dumb. <laughs> Um, I like the scene where, uh, the guy's just like, what's this garlic? That's not going to work. And then they just like the dog fuck, dude, they throw the, okay. I'm not even joking that when the dog pushed the dude into the fucking, they bath, threw that dog, yeah, huh? I <laughs> was dying. I almost fucking spit out my drink. I was fucking cracking up. I was like, oh, he's going to tackle this food. Whoa. He, he fucking threw, they chucked this fucking dog. You just see the dog go sideways. Like what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> oh, so good i mean the way that he melted and then like his blood go- goes throughout the entire water system of the house and breaks all the toilets oh, and man, everything that's gnarly and you see his like skeleton pop out of yeah! the water as it's boiling oh god it's great okay there was the other one where um i think that's oh yeah there's like four, there's only four vampires that's the thing there's only four vampires yeah the they, first dude went out in the glitter death yeah he had, the Frog Brothers actually killed a vampire. They actually staked him. Yeah, but he was sleeping, so it was kind of whack. Yeah, that doesn't count. Hey, that counts. <laughs> that has to count for something. They killed a vampire. At 14 years old? Come on. That tear at the end, though, that David has when he's chasing them out, that's so... Oh, oh. oh you're just like, <laughs> they just killed his brother. That's his brother is the one that gets staked, and it's like, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty gnarly. It's and pretty that, cool though. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. the The grandfather has a bunch of taxidermy shit all around his house, so he just happens to get steak. Yeah, there's all. antlers fucking everywhere. Yeah, he, I I was like, this is gonna be a sick ass fucking vampire fight. They like, there's like strings, and they just fucking hit in, in each other mid air. It's so funny. I love this shit. That's what I live for with horror movies. I love the gore. How do you guys feel about the ending? Do you think it was appropriately handled? Was there something left that you didn't want, or was it a funny ending? Absolutely, because this is a horror comedy, and there's so many funny scenes that aren't even like they're just like that was delivered funny. That's I think that was intentional. I I liked it. I I think the grandfather is such a big goof in this whole movie. I love the grandpa. He uses fucking Windex as aftershave. Yeah, <laughs> oh, gnarly. I cringe so hard. Oh no, I laugh my ass off like. Hey, Sonny, you got any aftershave for your old grandpa? I, Windex? Ah, yes, the good stuff. Yes, that'll work. <laughs> <laughs> he also stuff. tells Michael, he's like, oh, I guess you're not the only one who got lucky last night. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> oh, grandpa, okay. <laughs> yeah, I just, okay, that's the thing. The funniest part about the ending is he didn't intend to kill the head vampire. It's fucking Mr. Magoo. It just doesn't like, look like it, yeah. He, like, he crashes through his fucking house on accident. Just gets out and goes and grabs a soda. You know you know what? Both of these movies do like a switcheroo like that on you at the very end. They do like a big switch at the very end of who was the actual villain here. <laughs> uh, I saw a really random post somewhere that's probably not true, but they were saying that the grandpa might possibly be a vampire and that he was somehow holding his like uh, taste for blood back by eating sweets. What the fuck? <laughs> You know, I actually wondered, because you know how he has all of those animals in his house, little taxidermy animals. 
What if he kills the animals and drinks their their blood to avoid drinking the blood of humans? I thought about whoa, this while I was watching whoa, the movie. Whoa. I, I believe it. I also thought about that because he has that section of his fridge. And, like, at the end of the movie, I was like, oh, he's going to go drink something. I'm like, is that blood? Like, I'm wondering, like, does he, he's like, you can't touch grandpa's fucking shit, you know? Yeah, he has it blocked off with cardboard. <laughs> curious. Very, mm. very curious. So, do you think they went back to Phoenix? <laughs> no. <laughs> Well, maybe. I don't know, actually, now I think about it. But, I mean, by comparison, the Lost Boys seemed much funnier to me than The Crow. Even though The Crow was funny to me at moments, but it wasn't because it was actually funny. It's just because he was just fucking with dudes. It, that whole movie, like, and when he realized he just can't be killed, he was like, I want to do whatever the fuck I want. But by comparison, it was, The Crow was much more serious. And, and then knowing all of the production stuff from that movie was interesting as well. Should we transition into The Crow? Absolutely. Yes. Okay. We should pull up some production notes. Yeah, Murray got <laughs> us with those production notes on the on the crow. Oh yeah, go for it. Hell yeah. So the crow was made in nineteen ninety four. It is a superhero movie, technically. Directed by Alex Proyas, written by David J. Shaw and John Shirley. Uh, it is based off the James O. Barr comic book of the same name and stars Brandon Lee in his final film appearance. Yeah. Rest in peace to a legend. I like this movie. But the box office and the budget. So the budget was twenty three million. It made fifty point seven million in the box office in the U.S. Not bad. Distri- uh, it was distributed by Miramax. Interestingly enough, Miramax just dominated the nineties. Uh, and Miramax actually helped this movie out a whole lot um, because when it came out, the produ- it was originally just going to go straight to video. But Miramax put up about I think it was like eight point five million dollars. Yeah, they pumped in eight million yep. just for the advertising. Yep, and well, so they could also also so that it could be seen in theaters too. So it was actually it actually got theatrical release when it wasn't going to. We'll address the oh. elephant in the fucking room. <laughs> Brandon Lee, uh. killed on set. This has been the topic of so much discussion. Everyone knows that it happened, but not a lot of people know how it happened. So whoever was the props assistant. Yeah. Fucked up hardcore. They got fired. Yeah, probably banned. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if they were ever in another film after that. Yeah, you're like fired for life, yo. As someone who loves and studies film production, I feel like that was such an amateur move and just someone just royally fucked up. And it, it's sad because that's like Bruce Lee's kid. Yeah, apparently they ma- they were making their own fake ammunition to use in the film, and a piece of that fake ammunition got stuck in the barrel, so the next time they used it, that it piece went out. flying out and went in straight into his stomach. He then later died at the hospital through hours of numerous surgery. Five hours. Yep. And so, before we go on, we would just like to say rest in peace to Mr. Lee. Oh yeah, definitely. His performance in this movie is incredible. He makes the character. Yeah, yep. he makes me feel. He has so much emotion on his face and just in the way that he carries himself. The aesthetic of this movie, it is the longest typo negative music video of all time. <laughs> I love it, honestly. The fucking intro shot where you see all of the fires burning in the city. I can't tell. Where the fuck is it? It looks like London. In some scenes, it looks like fucking New York. You know what I mean? I was thinking it kind of looks like Skid Row almost, like in L.A., Right? I, I can't tell, but at the same time... Some industrial neighborhood. It, it's very comic booky because like when they're doing those driving scenes, I, I'm just oh, like, this looks yeah. wild. Have what? you ever seen uh, Dark City? 
no that's that's what it reminded me of the that's a whole different thing that's like a weird sci-fi movie but it's so dark and grimy you can't tell where shit starts and ends so the crow is it's starts off with like the devil's night it is a unofficial holiday is the day before halloween uh where basically people do rioting looting setting off fires and just doing all kinds of fucking mayhem and bullshit so on this particular night the day before their wedding both the uh, main character and his spouse uh, get a knock on the door from a group of gang members who proceed to rape the woman and kill both the man and the woman. Yeah, the the woman was trying to write a complaint against the landlord for getting them evicted. And she was basically saying, like, you don't have a right to do this. So they came to intimidate them, but instead chose to rape and beat her. And then they killed him by throwing him out the window. I think didn't he also get like a knife thrown at his chest or something? By, he was uh, shot too. Yeah, they he shot was him shot. a bunch and threw him out. They did a number on him. And, See, yeah. that's the thing. They were like, you hear it from the the villains. Like, we were supposed to go in there and just fucking mess with her, but then you had to fuck it up and come into the fucking apartment while this happened, and now you're dead, but you're alive. How? <laughs> uh, an interesting thing to note is that uh, Obar. Excuse me, James Obar, who wrote The Crow, the original, uh, the comic for it. So his backstory is really tragic because he met, uh, I forget the name of his wife, but they were together for a good three years and she died in an accident with a drunk driver. And so afterwards, after a long time of depression and whatnot, he ended up writing The Crow literally about a very similar like situation as sort of a way to deal with his grief. So and it really is like portrayed really well in this movie. Yeah, no, it's powerful. The like feeling of sadness is eminent in every scene, you know, just that gray, gloomy, it's always raining, everybody's just kind of like dark. It's it's dusty, it's smelly, there's crime everywhere. What's Ugh. that what's that line that that um that Eric says in the movie about rain? He has something that he says about rain that's super oh, awesome. Yes. Oh yeah. Uh, go ahead, go ahead. It can't rain all the time. Can't rain. Oh, I love that line so much. There you go. Oh, I love it so much. So I also good. like the, the little girl character. She's really cool. She, how she just fucking skateboards everywhere She's and so almost gets spunky. hit. She's so spunky. I feel like I've known people like her when I was in middle school. Get out of the road, kid. Uh-huh. Just like. <laughs> like she. It's not even over the top, though. It feels very grounded. Like I've, I say this about a lot of things on this podcast, but it did feel very, it felt very grounded, like as far as like for like a, like a spunky, like, you know like preteen i want to say basically yeah um so she, they did a good job on her character for sure yeah butt face yeah <laughs> there you go uh crazy fact so the guy that actually pulled the trigger during the shooting that killed brandon uh he had various amounts of ptsd after this because you're on a set of a movie you're not intending to kill people at all and uh he never watched the final edit of the film and he would have nightmares of him killing Brandon over and over through until his death, uh, like a couple years back. It's also important to note that after, after that happened, there were new laws put in place for filmmaking and whatnot. So this basically changed how the industry had to portray gunfire. They could no longer train any firearms on anyone pointed at anyone that's alive. Uh, and they, and if they did, they had to use camera trickery in order to like make it look like it. And whatnot. So, yeah. Big change in the industry after this. Very important. Um, I think what a lot of people forget about The Crow is that the power... Or, they don't forget, but... The Crow is what's giving everything the power. It is a bit, essentially this, his second chance 
at life to get revenge. Yeah, the little bit of lore for the story is that sometimes the a crow will return to return a soul back to its body to finish some unfinished business. In this case, getting revenge on those dudes that killed his wife and him. So he's alive for like only one night, right? It's one yeah. it's it's the devil's night one year later. I was going to say is it sort of like the crow is a like a reaper. You know how reapers are portrayed in mythology as being like these creatures that will come into the world for a short amount of time in order to collect the souls to bring into the underworld, which essentially is what he was doing. I feel like he kind of in a sense when in his dying wish was asking this reaper like I want to take these lives myself, you know, as revenge. And in every sequel following, the crow was a different person. Interesting. Yeah, and uh, from what I hear, the sequels are, are kind of bad. Like, there's just kind of yeah. Mm. I actually remember watching one, and I think I watched maybe like 20 minutes of it, and then I watched something else. Yep, that makes sense. <laughs> that makes sense. Uh, I. Oh man, uh, <laughs> it's like it's, uh, well it's... the well I would say that I I like it. I like to think of it. I mean, I've never heard of like I, whenever I hear of reapers, I always think of like the Grim Reaper. I've never heard of reapers that actually yeah, are that. Um, I, I thought maybe the word revenant, like, described what he did more. Maybe a better word, more, like but... Shiningami. Like, yeah, you know, like Death like Note. Yeah, how yeah, like yeah that makes sense. A bunch of creatures, basically, yeah. that will come in occasionally. Like, okay, time to collect some souls. Mm-hmm. Just go into my day job. There, there's <laughs> an interesting thing that was cut, that was supposed to be in the movie, but due to Brandon's death was not put into the movie and was scrapped, which is the introduction of the Skull Cowboy. Who was cool. yeah? So so he was supposed to be portrayed. He was in the script. They had to rewrite him out of it though, because the death. This movie was also production hell as well for them. This movie they like they had so many accidents on set. They were saying the film was cursed uh, and whatnot. There was a ridiculous amount of cocaine being done on the set. Oh, tell him the to, joke to I the point it. that Brandon Lee made jokes every time someone sneezed. He'd say someone just lost fifty bucks. <laughs> <laughs> um. <laughs> Uh, but um, the Skull Cowboy, getting back to my original point, was a mentor character that basically showed up and explained to Eric what his powers were. And so the idea was that he... So it, so it's without him there, it can be a little confusing for some people to not to not figure out like what are his powers exactly. But one of the key points is that if you abandon the quest for revenge, you lose your powers. And you are also supposed to go sleep back in your grave when the job is done. That's also like those are the rules. Oh, so they know that their time there is limited. Yeah, but so that's why later on, like right before the final fight with the big dude, it's why he's so weak and has no power because he believes that he has eliminated everyone that has to be eliminated. So therefore, his gift is not there, and it's only until he finds out that Mister Longhaired Grizzled uh, Speak. I think his name was Top Dollar. Top Dollar. There we go. Top Top Dollar. Yeah, Top Dollar. Until he finds out Top Dollar ordered the death, that's when he gets his powers back and he can fight him again. So also yeah. the nicest hair, yeah, he does, does. <laughs> luscious even in his death. <laughs> I bet he uses Pantene. I use Pantene. <laughs> I can see that. <laughs> I see them locks. I guess like I guess some of the other things that were added to this movie, I guess, were like, his ability to like remove drugs from people was something that was added to the film. That was a different thing. Yeah, entirely. that was kind of interesting. That's but I like it a lot. Scene. I really like it though. I love it. Mothers are goddesses to their children. So act like one. Yeah, and then just like drains the drugs from her veins. Yeah, it's like you shouldn't do morphine. It's bad for you. Damn. All right, <laughs> we get it. And also all the smoking. Yeah, the smoke, like don't smoke. Pulls a cigarette from his mouth, takes a hit, and then is like, yeah, you shouldn't smoke. Uh. <laughs> I'm dead, and you shouldn't smoke. <laughs> um, I like the dynamic with the cop character because 
He's going against yeah, his boss. And a cop you don't hate. <laughs> yeah, for real. But this guy's just trying to do his job right now. He's just working. He even got demoted because he was asking too many questions about the investigation. So he got put back on to just being a regular cop instead of a detective. Oh, it could be some social commentary that we're seeing. Here. Well, yeah, because he's black. So Dude, it's like, <laughs> yeah, are you serious? <laughs> <laughs> I also love, I love the scene where she's like, "You didn't get this file for me," and then he immediately like looks at the file of the band photo of Eric and draws, draws the clown a little paint makeup. on him. And he's like, oh, you're going to get demoted to fucking school crosswalk guard. Like, fuck. Um, I liked his portrayal as that police uh, officer because he really was just trying to do his job. But then he also has some shit going on with himself where him and his wife are getting divorced. So he's, like, dealing with that in the background, sort of. And he even, like... When he catches the crow the first time, he's like, all right, don't move. Like, you're going to stay right there. And he's like, how the fuck did you lose him? You're out in the middle of the open. Like, he's, like, reprimanding himself. You know what an interesting thing that popped up in this movie was, if we if we want to talk a little bit about, like, um, about racial issues here? It's the scene when the uh, when the, when the um, Eric sneaks into his house and says, freeze, and he freaks the fuck out. He's a cop. Why would that make him jump? I wonder. Because, Is? get this, get this. Whoa. He's black. No fucking shit. What? <laughs> yeah. Even black cops are scared of cops. There you go. That's what I'm saying. Anyway. I love that he still has his hat on in that yeah. moment. No no pants. No <laughs> pants. He's like, I'm a big boy. He's just like, hmm, I got I'm my hat on. Eric Get, comes I'm still in. at work, even at home. Eric, <laughs> Eric comes in and grabs a beer. He's like, you still have your hat on, you know? <laughs> okay. So the scene where he gets out of the grave, the crow is essentially guiding him to each person that he has to talk to and deal with. Uh, the first one is, what's his name? Um, he's the knife guy. It was Tintin. Tintin. T-Bird. Yeah, Tintin. I love this. He's like, oh, what the fuck? You're on meth? You want to fucking go? <laughs> yeah, he's like, why are you all painted up, you crackhead? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I was expecting him to say cracker and not crackhead, just because he made... Earlier in the scene with him, he made that massa joke, and so I was like, "Hmm, I wonder right, if they right, were like, yeah, okay, maybe yeah. not two racial like jokes right, in a row. Right, yeah, like, maybe, not. <laughs> maybe not. Maybe not. I guess we'll just. Uh... I mean, the black dude still died first, but whatever. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> hey, no, Shelly and Eric died first. Thank you very much. Okay, oh, all right. That doesn't fucking count. <laughs> he does have you there though it's you I, can't write that logic out of here <laughs> i love i love how they go to the main boss it's just like yeah tintin was found with fucking knives and every vital organ of his body in alphabetical <laughs> in order alphabetical order. <laughs> and then oh the fucking the pawn shop scene i love that oh. about a year ago a fucking ring was sold here oh shit on me <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I'm going to start using that now. Oh, shit on me. Oh, shit on, on me. me. <laughs> I, I love how he's like, you have about, you know, 10 minutes to get out of here. And he's like, oh, fuck you. He's like, all right, we can make this five seconds. <laughs> Just shoots the shotgun full of rings at the fire. Yeah, that was kind of gnarly. That shit looked like it blew out so far. It hit whatever stunt double was there. <laughs> oh, poor thing. And then they're like, my pawn shop just got destroyed. I didn't order that. Yeah, do you think I I, I wanted this? Like that's my well, livelihood. Lying. <laughs> that dude was a great like villain because he just seemed like he was like thinking he was in charge, but he wasn't very good at it. 
he always had his right hand man doing everything and he would just kill people in his office for fun with his seer who was just constantly doing black magic next to him <laughs> wasn't she also his sister yep. yeah it was also his lover yeah <laughs> also notice he had a southern accent i'm just saying <laughs> Fuck. Fuck. Oh. <laughs> that, that's totally because it's Michael Wincott, and that dude just has that accent. He can't change it. He can't do he any can't other voice. That way. Honestly, it kind of like threw me off a little bit. Like, I feel like somebody who looks like him and hangs out with the crowd that he does wouldn't have a southern accent. I feel like you just kind of sound like Batman, you know? <laughs> if you don't know who Michael Wincott is, if you remember the fourth Aliens film, The Captain of the Ship, oh, yeah. that's, that's him. That is- that's what? the dude. Yeah, that's right. He's just a lot prettier because he has longer hair in this film, and, he, and he's younger. <laughs> mm. Mm. Um, I think the other killing is the dude that's, like, all up on Darla. Like, fun boy. Fun boy. And I'm pretty sure he injects him with heroin, right? Just a bunch of fucking heroin? Yeah, he, like, makes him overdose. Fun fact, fun boy was supposed to be Iggy Pop. This makes sense. Yeah. I see it. <laughs> Which I do not, I support. He, I, he was just not available, so he ended up being in the second one. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, fuck, I missed to do The Crow. Yeah, oh, he was mad about it. Fuck, I'll get the sequel then. I'll demand it. Iggy pops in a lot of horror movies. Yeah. Shirtless in every one, too. God, wait, who was who was the person in one of the, the trilogy from, what was it? In the Mouth of Madness and then the other two? We, John Carpenter? Yeah. Who was the who was the singer who was in that? Oh, um, Alice Cooper. Yeah, Alice Cooper. That's it. Alice Cooper was it. They just uh, love being in horror films. Yeah. I'm surprised Danny Trejo wasn't here. No, I'm just kidding. He's uh, it was fucking everything. It was, it right? was that, no, he should have been in the Lost Boys. It was the other uh, Apocalypse right? trilogy movie. It was the um the the other one, not not Mouth of Madness. In the prin- in uh what, the Prince of Darkness. Prince of Darkness, that's the one that he's in, yeah. That's it. And then I'm trying to remember oh yes. Uh, fucking T-Bird. His, this whole sequence is awesome. Like, this chase around the city going 90 oh, miles yeah. per hour. Fucking incredible. Do they say where this was filmed? No. They don't. They don't they oh, in the production, the production notes? notes? Yeah. Because I still don't know where the fuck it was filmed. Probably Miramax Studios. Right. It's like just a giant set. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but did you guys have any favorite scenes? I mean, I like the explosion with t- fucking T-Bird. Just strapping a bunch of fucking explosions to him, making him jump off a fucking uh, dock. I also like the scene where like, ah, so this is the ghost, huh? Light him up, boys. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they don't give a fuck. Every single person at the table shoots him. (laughs) Just, oh god, it's so good. Yo, that guy had the sickest nightclub though. That shit was industrial as fuck. I know. I would love to go there, honestly. I was watching. I was like, dude, there's literal welding and cutting above this soundstage right now. Hot. Sick. I dig I dig it. <laughs> it was Dude, 90s. I think I think my favorite scene, honestly, was when the crow was just hanging out on the rooftop playing his guitar while he gently weeps to the city at night. Oh my god, like the emo in me. I remember <laughs> watching this when I was like younger, like middle school age, and I was like, Yes, this is it. This is everything. That oh. scene does hit. It it really does. I love how how crazy it <laughs> and then just destroys the guitar afterwards <laughs> oh god i love it like all right enough fucking around <laughs> time to go kill 
the soundtrack for this Back to really business. good too. It has a lot of good good artists on. You got the Cure on there. Yeah. Stone Temple Pilots were, got a huge shout out from this. It's actually boosted their career a lot for them being featured on this film. Uh, there's a, quite a few other ones of like from like your like. Didn't both of them have like a song made for the movie? Like the Lost yes. Boys had a theme song. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're they're. Uh, it's really funny because they have that giant Doors poster yeah. in the hideout. And then they have that uh, Jim Morrison from The Doors. They made that song, uh, When You're Strange or whatever. And then Echo and the Bunny Man covered it for the movie, but it was a single, basically. And both posters, there's an Echo and the Bunny Man poster in the movie as well. So, fun fact. One of the cool things I was reading uh, an article about the film was that they made an analogy for the film that revenge and any other kind of crime of passion that shows up in most cases is usually just a one-time thing, but the person always changes, but it's always the same kind of crime. And that's what this movie is kind of getting at, was that there's so many people that experience these kinds of things, like what had happened to the writer where he lost his wife. So that was kind of one of the ideas he was trying to get at, was that this could happen to anybody and that anybody that this happened to would want to get revenge for sure. I mean, no doubt he probably wanted to kill that drunk driver, as most do. When yeah, that exactly. Happens. A lawsuit doesn't settle that. Got to, got to fucking fight me on rust. This is the alternate version where you do actually get to kill that dude. <laughs> Otherwise, you got to <laughs> deal with your grief. Mm-hmm. I like the crow a lot. I just think it's a good movie. What would you guys rate these films? Both eights. They serve their time as well. The thing is, a lot of people say that The Crow is cheesy. I don't understand this. Fuck you if you say it's cheesy. I love this shit. Oh, Murray, it is cheesy. It is. Yo. It's pretty cheesy, hey, but, I, like, I love cheese. <laughs> I love cheese pizza. You know that opening scene reminded me, remind me of the 90s Spawn movie kind of opening. That's what it reminds me of, yeah. and that's hella cheese. Oh, my God. Um, why haven't we done that yet? Yeah, I want to do the 90s <laughs> we Spawn. We need to do 90s I love Spawn. that movie. I love the 90s Spawn. I'm the violator! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. God, who is that? John Leguizamo? Who yeah, plays the him? Fucking, yeah, the fucking clown is so good in that fucking movie. He did so good. <laughs> we Yeah, we got to do that. That's going on the daisies. schedule. That's going on there. <laughs> D-E-D. Dead. Because <laughs> you're dead. Get it? D-E-D. Dead. Jesus. You look like it? a fucking raisin. You know? Just like, goddamn. <laughs> <laughs> He's so fucking disgusting in that movie. He, like, gets a pizza and puts maggots on it and oh, starts eating yeah, it. it's so good. <laughs> fuck yes. I love that movie. I don't give a fuck. I love that movie. Yeah, that's really what would you guys rate the movies? I, I'm going to go with Murray. I think that they're both solid eights. I think a solid eight is, is a good, is very, is very generous and whatnot, I think. Yeah, I'd say, like, 7.58 for, for both of them. I like The Lost Boys because it, it creates another like subgenre of horror for vampires with its own little bits of lore and added in things that they needed just to progress the story along, which is cool when they make something their own. It didn't seem like any other vampire movie I'd really seen. And it also played on so many different ideas that we were talking about, too. And it was kind of it was pretty accessible to like a younger audience, I felt, too, for Lost Boys anyway. It, it was accessible. I think I want to give both the movies like a solid seven also because – I, I think the thing that I like the most out of these two movies uh, that they're really good at creating a mood and then creating sort of like this aesthetic, you know, it was sort of um, it felt like watching like a comic book, you know, everyone looks kind of uh, like characters. These situations are interesting. There's a lot of really good music, too. But it was it seemed very like uh, like almost like a French culture kind of thing. You know, it was very 
edgy. I hate using that word because I feel the word edgy is so cliche, but like that's the best thing I can come up with right now is like it was out there, you know. I liked what they brought in both those movies. They both accentuate like on the underground like subculture yeah. sort of like really yeah. well and they both really like showcase that in these movies. Like yeah, it's like definitely. for those people is what these movies were made for. You'll mm-hmm. get it if you're in this group. Yeah. Sort it's of a thing. If you you could argue these are just fucking period pieces. Really no, though. Honestly, and they're yeah. great. <laughs> yeah. What what would you rate them, John? Yeah, I mean, I would do like 7.58 and they were like the quintessential 80s and 90s films because they had so many themes that happened during those time periods and the way that they kind of what they focused on the story was really important. Like in the 80s it was all about violence and sex, so you had violence and sex in that movie. Whereas in the 90s they were trying to make things darker, grittier, more realistic, so they focused more on his revenge, his violence, the things that happened to him and there wasn't really any sex scenes and they made sure that the people who did something bad were the rapists and that they got exactly what they deserved. It's more emotional, especially they like, had a lot of especially how they it. killed the main guy. Yeah. 32 hours of surgery thrown onto him. And then he falls through the fucking. That was great. That's church. his wife. That's his. Well, thirty hours of surgery is his wife. If I'm yeah, not yeah, yeah, yeah. And he transfers. He that transfers that oh, you're talking about cough. that? Yeah, that's awesome. I love that. Yeah, part. transfers the pain to him like all at once, and then yeah. tosses him off. Yeah, there's a lot of emotional trauma from that. So I mean, like he Pretty just much. passed it over to the guy who fucking started it. Did you guys have any final thoughts? I believe that more movies need shirtless men playing saxophones, oily, with long flowing mullets that's that's my input i think i agree with this statement a hundredfold but i also want to say that i i think this is probably like it's just sad to me about brandon's death about this whole thing it's like getting back to it it just it hits different when you know that he actually died on set and the performance he gives here is a killer performance this probably would have set him off to be in so many different things absolutely so, I mean, I just got to give it on that. Like, it's a guy giving it his all until the end. Yeah, that's that's definitely I, – I have to agree with Mary. I think that the, the Crow is definitely a staple of Brandon Lee's acting capabilities and how he was he was going to be a star at one point. He was going to make it up there and be really good. Um, so you have that with that movie, and that's really one of the reasons I'd say to watch is to watch someone's, like, like, like the final moments of their career, basically. Uh, Lost Boys is – uh, just a restylized vampire Goonie movie. If you like the Goonies, you'll like the Lost Boys. Yeah, that's the thing. A lot of people I talk to, they're like, I don't consider either of these movies horror movies. But that's the thing. I consider them horror movies. Uh, they weren't. They were written and intended to be horror films. So I don't know who told you that. <laughs> I, I mean, I'd say they're. I mean, they're not. They're, they're more thriller. The, when you stark. think when you think of horror, everyone thinks of something different. Yeah, when I think true. of horror, I think of something that makes me feel uncomfortable. I also think of things that are very. Um, what's the word for it? Uh, campy. Mm-hmm. I think it was like, like Evil Dead Two is still. No one's gonna tell you that's not a horror movie. Yeah. Right. But it's still. But it's goofy as fuck, and it's not exactly scary. You know. Technically, uh, The Crow's listed as an action fantasy, but mm-hmm. The Last Boys is a horror comedy. Yep. Yeah. So there. So there you go. But I mean, you got The Crow with like the raisin from the dead and whatnot. That's kind of creepy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. At the very least, it's goth. Yeah. yeah. Goth AF. All right. So before I let everybody go, I just want to remind everybody we're super easy to find on all of the streaming services. So you can just look us up by finding us on Google. You can look up Bringing Down the Grindhouse. You can go to our website, which is bdtghpodcast.com and stream from there. You can listen right on the website. Our Patreon is live and we are adding new things to it. So if you want to find it, you can go to our website 
and it'll link you directly there. We have special segments from each of the hosts, as well as behind-the-scenes looks on our outlines, and we'll soon be uploading bloopers, so all of the intros that we have before we actually start recording and get into the seriousness of the podcast. So go ahead and support us there, and if you can, please leave a review on the Apple Podcast. Gives us a better rating, and we're more easily seen on the website, but I hope everyone has a good night. Thanks for coming out. I'm Mitch. I'm Murr. I'm Jonathan. And I'm Justine. Thanks, have a good night.